Our scripture readings uh, this morning come from the book of 1 Kings, as well as a few passages from the Gospel of Matthew. Listen for the word of God. Ahab told Jezebel that all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more so if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It's enough now, O Lord, take, my life, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, get up and eat. He looked and there at his head was a cake baked on, a hot, on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat. Otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank, and then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. At that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there. And then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, go out and stand on the mountains before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then from the Gospel of Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus and Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. By your grace and through your favor, we pray that you would allow these words to come, to point to the word just read, and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name. Amen. I don't know about you, but there are certain times of the day that I prefer than other times of the day. There are certain readings on the clock that I look at with greater enthusiasm than other readings on the clock. For example, I like six o'clock six o'clock in the morning or in the evening. At six o'clock in the morning, it's, I'm a morning kind of a guy, and it's when I get out of bed and get the day started, time to get tackled by the world. I like six o'clock in the evening because I'm beginning to think about what I'm gonna have for dinner. Unless, of course, I'm 
having an evening meeting, in which case I'm trying to figure out what restaurant is going to be open that I can get food after my meetings. I like 9 o'clock in the morning because it means that people are awake. They're beginning to go about their business. And I like 9 o'clock in the evening because usually I'm home by then, and by then the world is starting to settle in. I like 12 o'clock because 12 o'clock either means lunch or midnight, so I'm either stuffing my face or I'm dead asleep. Three o'clock is not my favorite time of day. If it's three o'clock in the afternoon, it means that despite how much caffeine that I've had during the day, I find myself fighting to stay awake. And all I want to do is curl up on the couch and take a nap. But I've got this thing called a job, and I, so I typically don't. I do take some inspiration in the fact that Winston Churchill took a nap every afternoon during World War II and still managed to win the war. Likely those were alcohol-induced, so we won't go there. <laughs> My least favorite time on the clock is 3 a.m. I am not a fan of 3 a.m. Because if the clock reads 3 a.m. and I see it, that means I'm awake and I really want to be sleeping. And at 3 a.m. I'm often thinking, and if you're like me, you're also thinking. And what you think about when you're awake at 3 a.m. is a lot of things, right? At 3 a.m. your brain goes into hyperdrive. All the uncertainties of life creep into your brain at 3 a.m. At 3 a.m. you think about all the things that you need to do the next day. At 3 a.m. you wonder about your bank account. At 3 a.m. you stress about the leak in your roof. At 3 a.m. you consider what the doctor said the last time that you saw her. At 3 a.m. you hear sounds in the house that you've never heard before. At 3 a.m. you think about your children and what will become of them. At 3 a.m. you wonder if the Giants are ever going to win another game. <laughs> At 3 a.m. you entertain doubts. At 3 a.m. you are left with yourself, your thoughts. Nobody to distract you from your thinking, your feelings, your worries, your wonderings. Maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about. Maybe you sleep like a rock every night, which means that we can never be friends. But if there should ever come a time when you do find yourself awake at 3 a.m. and you toss and you turn and your mind is going a million miles a minute, it puts you and it puts me, as it turns out, into pretty good biblical company. You know, God does a lot of speaking in the middle of the night. Jacob has his famous dream in the middle of the night. Pharaoh has his dreams in the middle of the night. Samuel hears God's voice in the middle of the night. Joseph hears the angels speak to him in the middle of the night. The wise men are told to go home another way in the middle of the night. Nicodemus has a conversation with Jesus in the middle of the night. As lonely and as anxious and as frustrating as 3 a.m. can be, sometimes, maybe most of the time, it's in the middle of the night that gives us the greatest chance to hear the quiet whisper of God. Consider Elijah, the great prophet of Israel, in our story this morning. Elijah doesn't feel so great. He feels the burdens of the world pressing in on his shoulders, and he feels that he's being chased by his enemy. He feels all alone. He feels that maybe the world would be better off without him in it. And he's tired, and he's hungry, and he's lonely, and he's losing hope, and he runs away. And when he can go no further, he collapses and falls asleep 
And before he knows it, in the middle of the night, an angel awakes him and feeds him. And he gets up and he eats some and he falls asleep again. And it happens again. An angel wakes him and feeds him. And the angel says, get up, eat. Otherwise, the journey, the journey, Elijah, is going to be too much for you. That's all that the angel says. Get up, eat, keep moving. Put one foot in front of the other. And so Elijah does that for another 40 days, and he ends up at Mount Horeb in a cave. And the Bible says he spent the night there, and sure enough, he's awakened again by an angel in the middle of the night with all the worries on his shoulders, the fear and uncertainty commanding his thoughts. And it's in the middle of the night when he feels all alone. Now this, great, this is a great prophet of God. One would think that great prophets never feel alone. They always know the wonderful presence of God, right? Great prophets are supposed to wake up at 3 a.m. and they're supposed to turn over and fall back asleep. No worries. And we could never be more mistaken. If there's anything that the Bible teaches us, if there is anything that church history teaches us, it's that the great prophets and saints perhaps experience the most lonely and terrible nights of the soul. Following Mother Teresa's death, they found her diaries. This great woman of compassion and service to the poor. And they expected to find in those diaries testimonies to the presence and power of God. And what they found were years and years of worry and fear and the sense of the absence of God. And in those diaries was maybe one of my favorite quotes of Mother Teresa. God, I know that you promised to not give us more than we can handle. I just wish you didn't trust me so much. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great martyr of the faith, the leader of the Nazi resistance, after months in a Nazi cell working hard to put on this outward appearance of calm and strength for the rest of the prisoners, in the quiet of this cell he wrote that he felt like a hypocrite before others and before himself a contemptibly woebegone weakling. You know, the great prophets and saints experience with St. John of the Cross what he called the dark night of the soul. You know, so what are we to say about these things as we look to a new year? Well, perhaps first at 3 a.m. when your mind is racing and your thoughts are swirling and your worries are advancing. Perhaps it's then that you can take great comfort in the fact that you are in the company of saints. But even more so, you are walking the necessary steps of the spiritual journey. For what is faith? Unless it is preceded by and often joined with our fears and our doubts and our worries. It is in fact in the middle of our fears and our doubts and our worries where we are perhaps most eager to hear the voice of God. When we feel most desperate to have that presence of God with us. You know, it helps me to understand that moment when Peter gets out of the boat and he begins to walk on the water toward Jesus, who himself is standing in the middle of the sea. Have you ever wondered about that passage where it is that Peter feels the touch of Jesus most? It's when he's completely exposed, when he's got nothing remaining to grab hold of. It is then that Jesus lifts him up. 
You know, if there's ever a time when we're apt to listen to God, maybe it is at 3 a.m. Because it's at 3 a.m. when we have nothing left to hold on to. It's when the world is quiet enough for us to hear the still, small voice of God. It's at 3 a.m. when we're not checking our email or scrolling Facebook or texting our friends. It's in the sheer silence of 3 a.m. that we can have the presence of mind to listen, that we can hear the voice of God saying, come, come to me. But what is it that we're listening for? Maybe what we are listening most for is that still, small voice to remind us of all those other times in our life when we felt overwhelmed, when we were anxious, when we were doubtful. All those times when we wondered if we could ever even go another step. That in those times, God was present. And somehow we found the strength to get up and put one foot in front of the other. In other words, in those times, angels came. Whether we saw them or not, whether we felt them or not, whether we heard them or not, angels came and got us up and they fed us and they gave us rest and encouraged us to keep moving. There to remind us that in the midst of the whirlwind of our thoughts and our fears, somewhere close by an angel hovers. It's what happens to Joseph in the middle of the night, all the concerns of the world weighing in on him. Mary, his fiancée, pregnant, wanting no shame for herself or himself. And an angel appears and shares that Mary has been chosen to bear God's son, Jesus, the one who will save the people from their sin. It's okay, Joseph, it's okay. Move forward. You've been chosen to be a part of this great story. John Claypool, the great preacher, tells of the time that his daughter had been diagnosed with leukemia. And after a brief remission, she had relapsed, and it was an awful time from which his little girl did not recover. And Claypool talks about the moment in the middle of the night when sitting next to her hospital bed, she asked her dad, Dad, have you asked God when the leukemia will go away? What a terrible question for any father to have to answer. Talk about doubts and fear in the middle of the night. And he told her that he had been asking God a lot, but he hadn't heard an answer yet. Later, a friend asked, so, Reverend, where was God that night? And the preacher said, you know where it says in the Bible, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, sometimes God's greatest strength comes in our greatest weakness. God was there that night just to get me up, to put one foot in front of the other, not to fly with the eagles, not to run without being weary, but simply to walk and not faint. That's where God was that night. It helps me to understand a little bit more when Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have enough worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. You know, in the middle of the night, an angel touched Elijah and said, get up and eat, or else the journey will be too long for you. 
In the middle of the night, the angel visits Joseph and says, awake, it's okay. Mary is going to bear God's son, Jesus. Keep moving forward. So the clock strikes three and we're awake with ourselves, our thoughts and our worries and our fears. Welcome to the company of saints and the presence of angels. There doesn't need to be an earthquake for God to speak or strong winds for God to speak or a burning fire for God to speak. Sometimes there just needs to be silence, a space for us to listen. Maybe that should be our resolution as we begin this year. Maybe 2020 is about the listening, of giving space so that God might speak to each one of us and then move one foot in front of the other. Amen.